Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It is my great pleasure to welcome Edan Gottlieb to the show. Welcome, Edan. Thank you. And I have my faithful co-host, Jess Gleck, with me. Welcome, Jess. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be here, as always. Adon is the global VP of sales over at Cloudinary, and Cloudinary helps create, manage, and deliver media via the cloud to any application. Cloudinary uh, started out as an API-first company and now has broadened their go-to-market motion. So that's going to be our starting out point is to understand different types of go-to-market motions that are uh, available to companies that are out there. And we're going to have to explain a lot of acronyms, I'm sure, today for, for the sales audience. Before we do that, I'm going to ask in my favorite question, which is, tell me a little bit about your philosophy around reading and, and maybe one of your favorite books of all time. I usually am reading books in the mix of three big categories. One is, is biographies. I like to look at the people's and kind of the stories. And it's a mix between business people and politicians and things like that. By the way, politicians only after they've left their offices, not while they're trying to promote it. I also, by the way, sometimes in my teams like to to have this monthly quarterly book club when I give them a book to to read many times promoting a certain thread of an agenda that I would like to promote in the team and how they perform. Right now I'm reading um, Bob Iger's from Disney's. But I think one of the ones I mentioned in my book club that I really, really loved is Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity. It's it's an older one. I think he, he created a, a a version of it later on. And and what I liked about it is that you it's about his early days. We talked about early days before that. Uh, and 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 this notion of great people had to go through a lot of different things and a lot of different conflicts throughout the process, and kind of the understanding that the the, the route to success is not this you know straight line that you get there that everybody thinks it is. Jess, what about you? Well, you do a lot of the heavy lifting for me, Jeremy, with your blog, Selling Sherpa, because I have stopped buying all of those business books and let you give me little nuggets on them. I do want people to read them, though. When I do those summaries, I do want people to read them. But I choose uh, the ones based on your summaries. Oh, good. Okay. That's uh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. So you give me good recommendations. Um, I have a four-year-old, so many of the books I read right now are related to dinosaurs and or sharks. Uh, so there's several great books out there right now that give us the history of sharks. We're really into the Megalodon right now. That's what we are reading about, the history of the largest shark ever. Um, and when I'm not reading four-year-old books or getting my recommendations off of Selling Sherpa, I do love a good murder mystery. And I just read My Lovely Wife. Highly recommend. Great book. We'll have to, we can spend the whole time on books. We'll have to transition now. Well, Aiden, I described that you guys had started out, um, your go to, I use two acronyms, I guess, you know, go to market strategy, GTM, right? And API first. So most people probably know what go to market means, but it's a pretty broad term. Maybe we just spend a second on how you define go to market. What, what does that actually mean to you? It's a very broad term being used in many different motions and, and, and even groups within a company. But I think if you really try to simplify go to market, it's this the approach that you decide to take into if I have a product or a solution, how I'm going to best connect with my best market for it. And so I need to pick the routes of how I'm going to reach these people, how I'm going to engage with them, how they're going to interact with my solution, how I'm going to get them to be a customer, then how I'm going to work to support them and make them successful. And then you, you get into the complexity layers of how do you do it per region, per people, per stakeholders. It becomes really complicated. And then proliferated because 
you had the companies go to market approach and strategy, and then you start having different groups. So sales should have their own specific sales go to market when strategy where, okay, how do I'm actually going to run the interaction? What I'm going to have the, these conversations, the, who are the stakeholders and how do, who do I, what do I say to what? Uh, product has their own saying, if I'm looking at this and I'm going to cover this spectrum of use cases that I need to cover. So it, it kind of has to twinkle down the company, but the direction of the company should say, this is how we're going to go into the market and best engage with the people that can benefit what we've got. Yeah, there, there's so many things, as you talked about routes, there are so many now, right? There's what used to be called freemium, but is now P, another acronym, PLG, product-led growth. There's API first, which we'll talk about shortly. There's indirect or channel sales. And then even with, uh, you know, your your uh, direct sales motion, some companies start out or they, they strive to start out and sustain it for as long as possible with an inbound for, you know, inbound first or primary inbound, then they go outbound and so on. So there's lots of lots of options. And just like every strategy is you expand and grow, you want to adjust or expand it. And some plays work really well. You're talking about inbound and outbound. There's certain stages in the company that inbound alone is great. Um, but once you hit a certain threshold of revenue, and depends on which you want to count it, 30, 40, 100, somewhere at that range, if you want to cross that one and get to the billion dollars in revenue, you'll have to master the outbound. Uh, once you cross that, there's enough. If I'm Salesforce, everything comes to me. But you have to to master to master. You have to decide when am I doing it and why is it important. Well, picking on one of those threads there of of the different routes that I've I've mentioned this a few times and now I think it bears another sort of definitional approach here, which is what is what does API first mean? I'll tell you my interpretation of API, and so it's it's the distilled one because I'm from sales, so I have to simplify things. I'm not as sophisticated as as the people that actually can spell API. Um, it's this notion of a set of stakeholders that are extremely technical, developers mainly, a developer play, um, and that the interaction is around the ability to give them, uh, or, or you, you want to provide them these sets of capabilities and abilities to interact with your platform so they can leverage and do whatever they're trying to achieve. And I think the biggest difference is about what is your complete solution? Where here is the sets of extremely powerful capabilities, and in Cloudinary's case, tapping into some phenomenal AI capabilities and machine learning through code. And, and so the experience is about how well can I understand how to leverage it for my own world? Versus when you're not API first, when you're more about user interaction first, you, you will be about how would the user interact with the system in order to accomplish the task. So the task is also slightly different, right? You're trying to, to, to build something or you're trying to, to use something to, to do it. Uh, so I don't know if it made it more clear or more complex, but... I'm, I'm going to rely on Jess to interrogate you on that because I do code and I do use APIs. You're speaking my language, but you, Jess, I don't think codes. So she, she might have some clarifying questions. I do. I do not code. Um, but I, I think of this also as a sales leader. And, um, so I, I think about... Um, API first as a sales strategy. So when you think, you know, we're just talking about go to market, when you think about this way to interact with potential customers, how do you think about that as a revenue stream to monetize that, right? And how does, you also talked about, um, you know, having different revenue channels um, in your go to market, but I'd love to understand when a company decides to be API first, what does that mean from a monetization perspective? It means that, that you're, the solution that you're trying to provide and the use cases you're trying to cater for is these individuals, developers, that are at a point where they're trying to either perform a task or solve a problem for 
either an individual project they do or a smaller one in the company, and they're looking to tap into um, capabilities that people have already built. And, and basically, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can tap into those and then put them all together and create my own uh, um, solution for that. Uh, and the way to monetize it has usually two or three flavors. Uh, the one Cloudinary is really based on is the fact that you can start off and tap into this capabilities without any limitations. And when you scale your usage of it, you will have to pay uh, um, more based on how much you start consuming of it. Others can choose things like, I'm going to give you a limited set of functionality, or uh, and then to, you're going to pay premium to use in more advanced functionalities. Uh, so you can play around with the go-to-markets, but the overall approach is I'm targeting a stakeholder, which is a developer, and I'm targeting a use case where I somebody is trying to solve a complex problem and would like to leverage things that have already built for them in order to solve their specific problem. And then understanding that there's a lot of different problems people solve. I'm not standardizing on the problem I solve, but how I solve it in the area I do. And that's that motion of when I go API first, I, I tap into this developer. There's some great advantages. And in, in if you come up with a great product, it's very scrutinizing, right? Developers are not a forgiving group of, of users, but they are very grateful. And when you have raving fans with them, they, they will be great fans. You can build some amazing things with gluing together just separate APIs. And I can attest to the, you know, the ease of use, right, is that the documentation needs to be rock solid. There needs to be great examples. And it, and it just simply needs to work and it needs to work fast. Well, I know people can go to your site and, you know, they can basically sign up for free, right? Or they can uh, they can just start paying there. At what point do do your account executives, you know, will they actually engage a prospect? Sometimes with API first or developer first kind of companies, there's this question about, okay, what happens when it becomes enterprise? And, and when you see companies going through the growth motions, they sometimes feel they have to decide, well, now that developers got me so far because there is a scope of what you usually get um, in, in kind of the developer uh, use cases. Uh, then I have to drop them and choose another ones. Um, one of the, I think, exciting things that we we picked on doing is to say that it shouldn't be contradicting. These are all great and they're great together. And it's about the use case. So really the, the point that an account executive needs to get involved uh, or, or get connected with, with the the customer is when the use cases expands beyond these initial ones of, you know, I'm doing a project, I'm doing something for, for a department. When, when it starts scaling into my impact as a developer, even on what I'm doing is connected to broader scope at the company and a larger use case, I have to now start dealing with the company. I have security and I have compliance and I have legal and I have procurement. And so that's where really the value proposition comes in for an account executive on, on the track that comes from the developer into, well, this is what we're expert. We, we sell it day in day. We, that's, that's how you navigate it. That's the people we should probably be bringing into the conversation. These are the questions we should be probably asking and, and sometimes help you answer. You know what you need to deal with procurement. We'll do this for you. And so expand it through that when you are in your in-track. The other angle is sometimes introducing the capability in the platform to the organization from the top down or from the mid-level. Um, and by then really exposing and allowing developers to sometimes say, oh, I would love to use it if a company would buy it. And, and that's kind of where really there's a, there's a harmony here between the two and frankly, a great competitive advantage. Uh, because if we play with the people that, that have only applications that are kind of out of the box or we always in, invite and or suggest to include developers as part of the evaluation process because they're going to love us. And when we come from the development standpoint, we we introduce the ideas of, guys, this is going to work really well. You want to think about how do you secure the fact that the company will stay doing it versus make you rip and replace it or take away your work. I started to think as you're describing that, 
sort of two different types of users. And, you know, where one is a company that actually is creating like a SaaS company that wants to leverage your API and they're passing that through, right? That the user doesn't necessarily know that, that, you know, Cloudinary is powering the, the media, you know, creation and management and delivery. And then the other one is like the large enterprise that is doing it themselves. So an example might be whatever Amazon or what have you, where, right, their retail storefront might use, you know, might use the technology. Where, where's where's the mix for you guys? And do you use the same salespeople to sell to the independent software vendor as you do to the large retailer? So, yes, you're right about those cases are both valid. And um, uh, the way we have segmented our, our sales team is it's not by the um, size of the company or even the type of the company, but more about the type of use cases they're looking to do. So, so as you've described, I could, I could have... Um, both a platform company that comes in and trying to utilize a certain set of use cases that would be similar to an e-commerce platform like Amazon or or an e-commerce retailer. Um, so our our forces divided more in, around the the different product lines that we carry, and therefore you you basically think about. I, I like to set it up as building a sales team. They need to have a distinct. And there's three components for a distinct team to play. One is that you have a distinct set of people that you sell to. So there's just, just them. There's a distinct set of use cases that they do. And there's a distinct sales sets of sales motions. And, and the three of them says, okay, that's where you have to kind of have different sellers doing different things. Sometimes there's you know, nuances and combination, but that's a guiding kind of a approach to it. And, and so if they align with the same kind of, a, of use cases, people, that could be a different sets of companies. We do have some preferences about verticals and industries we are significantly stronger in just because they use more of the use cases and have more of these challenges. E-commerce is one of them. But you're right, everybody could do it. And then so use cases more of that kind of aligned with our product. I have a question um, kind of related to this in the sense that when you were talking about the individual developers and, you know, them sort of leveraging the APIs and consuming it. So I've always been fascinated with organizations that drive revenue through consumption models and the ability to sort of forecast that, right? Because you you can't ever really forecast the consumption. So I'd love to understand how you guys think about the consumption and, and when you as a sales leader of the organization, how do you forecast for that? Yeah, and it's a very good question. There's always these debates and discussions about it. Now, Cloudinary is slightly lucky, I would say. It's been around for seven and somewhat years now. So we have history that helps us build a predictability model. Um, and there's extremely smart people in, in Cloudinary. So they build all these algorithm and models too. And we, you know, fuss around with AIs and machine learning about trying to predict it. So we're doing, a, I think, a pretty solid work about that. But that works well for kind of the past and interactions. And they said, we're a growing company and we're expanding now into new markets and and with new products. Um, and... I think the basis of the model to try to predict that is going back to kind of the use case that people are using it. And then you could kind of put the company in the trajectory based on the use case. So if I'm a, you know, you mentioned if I'm an e-commerce uh, um, retailer and, and I could map out towards the volume and their growth uh, uh, planning, then I, I could think about or expect what kind of a consumption they will have. Now, interestingly enough, I would say another thing about the consumption model that that we try to, to roll out is that it's more of a mix. It's not just purely on consumption. Again, developers love the consumption model because they can start off with a small project and that, that fits really, really well. But when you start 
expanding to the larger enterprises, they do not enjoy a context where they don't have ethics predictability and, um, and a way to control budgets and forecast and planning. And, and so you can see that there is a certain point in the journey, especially as they get to our larger customers, uh, that the uh, organizations, the companies would seek to create a structure that could better control. And, and it becomes even nicer because sometimes those larger that pay us multi-million dollars would also want the commitment from us to make sure that they actually take advantage of it. So they would like to even pay more than they might need because they want to run all these projects and they can run the same thought process. So it's kind of that spectrum of truly having a go-to-market that, that looks at multiple routes of revenue and each of them has the nuances. One is consumption, the other one is kind of a hybrid, the third one is kind of more of, a, of an enterprise plan. On this thread, actually, uh, I was wondering uh, kind of a couple maybe comp and ROE questions. So on, on sales compensation, I suggest smiling uh, and shaking your head on that one, which is if I sell a SaaS product or, you know, I know precisely how much commission to pay on on the size of that deal. If I sell, you know, something that's going to be especially in the ramping phase, like once people are at steady state, you can probably forecast it. But in year one. How do you guys comp salespeople on the usage part of what you provide? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tricky one. I think there is a couple of categories in it. So, so when we talk about the sale, the enterprise team that works on it. So, the, usually the enterprise team works on certain size of of deals and and certain context of use cases. So it's it's somewhat easier. But through the sales cycle that we go through, you do get an understanding and try to get the understanding. Of what would be the scope of this company for the year and 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 then you construct the business relationship based on that one. And and so to turn it into how does it really work, because as an account executive, you, you basically could be in a position together with the SC of, I can forecast what the usage will be for it. And then throughout the first year, and we kind of let them keep the stuff for the first year, especially what they can predict. You, when you close your business, you can say, okay, you know what, this is going to happen in this uh, time frame and this time frame. We try sometimes to include it in the contract for companies that are looking for the predictability. Sometimes we can't, but we can still call that. Say, you know what, I know because they're running out to use case one and once this is in production, they're going to bring in the second brand. And, and so as soon as you can call it out, you, you will get paid when they move to that tier because I don't want the AEs to try and squeeze it all into the first deal. But when the construct works well, you can put it in the deal. So that's kind of the, the balance that we've created for that that first year. After that, we move it into our growth team and to uh, to start initiating conversations and expansion to that. The other challenge I love your insight and, and Jess's insight on is, and I have seen this before, I, I used another acronym there that I probably should explain, ROE, which is Rules of Engagement for, for Salespeople. Maybe most know that, but don't want to assume. One of the challenges, right, when you have this multi-channel or multi-motion go-to-market strategy, right, is is your AE could be prospecting, you know, an e-commerce retailer and doing all this work. And then lo and behold, the developer who may have had some exposure to all of that decides, I don't want to actually talk to someone. I'm just going to go on your website and I'm going to sign up. So how do you handle like account credit when, when that happens? It's a problem that is used to be very complex. I think the easy way to solve it, what we're trying to do it, is to go back to use cases, right? So the developer that will come into that will come in with one or two use cases. Either either we're doing it in order to experiment or learn about it, or they actually say, oh, this is a great idea. It's going to work for my project, which is that use case for that that channel of revenue. That's why it's not competing. You will never, as an AE, would have a deal. It's not like you lost that deal. It wasn't your deal to begin with. You don't want to spend time on that one. If nothing else, it could now give you a basis to say, you know what? 
maybe I can go back to this developer. I said, great, you know, I'm trying to get into this. Or when you go talk to the enterprise, they say, hey, look at this. We just talked to him. He loved it. But it shouldn't be competing if it's use case versus it's a company. You can make the decisions about, well, some of them depends on, you know, where do I get the new business guys versus expansion? What, what was the impact? But if it's use case, you shouldn't be, it's a different use case. I know from your LinkedIn days, this must be like directly applicable to you to Jess. <laughs> I was literally going right there. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I have PTSD from that because we had the B2C side of the house by your own premium subscription and then also the enterprise side of the house, which we were selling, you know, B2B. In the early days when I was there, it was sort of a loss. So if if someone from Google, let's say, signed up for a couple licenses for themselves and their team on the consumer side, that revenue would count towards consumer. Um, and even if I owned Google as the account and I had a billing account, we would not recognize that revenue. As we grew, we sort of collapsed the consumer side of the business um, to more self-serve online only. And that revenue just generated. But it would ping if it was an at google.com email address, it would ping over to the B2B side of the house. So we would recognize that revenue. And then you know, and you can say, hey, this group just bought. And then you know that they're, it's like, uh, it's very strong intent. And that's the other great thing about having these multiple routes to revenue that you, you, it does feed, it gives you a lot of insights, right? So for your enterprise team, getting insights from what happens on the self-service side um, or what happens in an account is all of a sudden, you know, things can, can pop on the radar because they're starting to act, you know, operate differently. Um, you could see indications of, oh, now they're all of a sudden deploying new media types like, oh, they're starting to use video now. Oh, there's something going on there. When it comes to accounting and counting for quotas and things, it, it could get more complicated uh, but the use cases are usually the, the track that makes it the cleanest. Well, Aiden, thanks so much for being on the show. If people do want to learn more about uh, Cloudinary or if they're, I don't know if you're hiring as well. So if they want to get in touch with you to, to potentially see if they can join, what's the best way for them to do that? We're definitely hiring. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me directly at edan.edan at cloudinary.com or through LinkedIn. Outstanding. Thanks for being on. And Jess, thanks for your time too. Yeah, great to meet you. Oh, thank you guys. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 